a look at news, analysis, and insight from around the Big Ten Conference. This is Big Ten Paradigm, part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. And here's your host, Mark Rogers. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to another edition of Big Ten Paradigm right here on the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Network. We hope that you will survey and sample all the podcasts available right here on the landscape of College Gridiron Coast to Coast, especially on this very sacred, sanctified, and holy week of Rivalry Week across college football. And uh, we are fortunate here in the Big Ten and on Big Ten Paradigm to have Steve Hellwagon from Bucknuts 247 Sports. Of course, I was going there, but we're also very blessed and fortunate to have the game, the rivalry, and because of the prominence of the two schools and the two teams this particular season, Steve, I would have to say this is the one that everybody's watching across the nation. Regardless of what their rivalry is in that particular nook and cranny, they're also keeping an eye on this one because when it comes to rear ends in the seats and ratings and everything else in this season, two and three and undefeated, this is the gem. This is the one. Yeah, pretty amazing that it's turned out this way after such a long season of college football. I think people in the Big Ten were hoping for this type of a caliber rematch after the way Michigan defeated Ohio State last year, 42-27 to in Ann Arbor. And you just kind of figured that a year from now or a year from that date that uh, these teams would get back together and the stakes would be similar, and uh, both of them obviously in the preseason top 10 to start the year, <clears throat> and you just hoped or you thought that if they could both go undefeated, it, the stage would be set for some huge matchup here at the end of the season with all these ramifications, and that has definitely taken place. It will be just the fourth time that these teams will meet with both of them undefeated and untied. The other times were 1970, 1973, and people will remember the 2006 game, which was one versus two, which was completely unprecedented for them to be the top two teams in the poll at the end of the 2006 regular season or nearing the end of the regular season. Ohio State won that game 42-39. to 39. And then one other game is a, a, a very much a parallel was 2016, and uh, Ohio State was number two playing at home against Michigan was number three. And uh, the Buckeyes uh, needed to go to overtime, had to really fight and claw to get the game to overtime at home. And they won 30 to 27 in overtime. People remember very controversial play on fourth down. JT Barrett, uh, you know, it was fourth down and they had to get to the exact 15 yard line after starting on the 25 in overtime. You have, the ball has to, to basically touch the 15-yard line. And you could look at that play any number of ways from any number of different angles. And Jim Harbaugh didn't think he got to the 15-yard line on fourth down. But the officials, I think, by maybe the nose of the football, gave it to him. And then on the very next play, Curtis Samuel took it in uh, for the touchdown and touched off a big celebration. So there have been, you know, not many of these games. I mean, these teams decide the Big Ten championship or in the last decade, the the, the division championships uh, in really the East yeah, has it's been since 2014, uh, a lot of these years. But uh, to have a game of this magnitude at this point of the season – uh, basically, the winner will be in the playoff, even probably with a loss to whoever comes out of the West. 
And there's a really strong case that if some things fall their way, that the losing team in this game at 11 and one could also make the, the playoff as well. So a lot on the line here, but uh, definitely, uh, you know, the Buckeyes Wolverines, both of them have national championship aspirations and, and we'll see uh, which one's the, the better team on Saturday. Folks, you've uh, caught Big Ten Paradigm on Rivalry Weekend, so this is a huge, huge uh, <laughs> deal for both Ohio State and Michigan, of course, and across the nation is, uh, again, college football fans kind of hold this week sacred, and we're happy to have Steve Hellwagon from Bucknuts 247 Sports here. Get on over to Bucknuts this week if you have yet to do so. Check out Steve's work there, and uh, in particular, uh, he is covering the the Daily Beat but at the same time, he's a guy that uh, not just myself, but folks all over the place lean on for historical perspective on all this, as you just heard. So check it out. All right, Steve, you saw uh, the Buckeyes up close and personal in a matchup against Maryland that they were a four touchdown favorite. And it was dicey in the fourth quarter as Talia Tungavailoa came out of a two week slump to, to burn the defense. And, uh, we had to see another flip-flop at running back, another injury situation, and another guy in Dallin Hayden who may now prove to be a major factor uh, against Michigan. So the way it unfolded both in Ann Arbor and College Park last week were were intriguing. Yeah, no doubt about it. It was a messy game for Ohio State. Any way you want to cut it, uh, they got off to a great start. They moved it right down the field and scored a touchdown. And Travion Henderson, the running back, had not played the previous week uh, in the game against Indiana. It had been Mayan Williams, and Mayan Williams was injured in that game and left that game, and he was ruled out for this game. But they got Travion Henderson back, so they thought, okay, this is going to work out just fine. Well, on the touchdown, it appeared it was a, a screen pass from C.J. Stroud, threw it over the rushing defensive end and out into the left flat to Travion Henderson, and he may have taken a bad step when he had to make a defender miss out there and uh, juked a defender and put it in the end zone and came off hobbling. And we know, obviously, he's been playing hurt. I mean, he hasn't been uh, right, you know, for a while. And so he comes off the field, but they, they left him, you know, they went back out there on offense, you know, later in the half and left him out there. And he ended up netting something like 19 yards on 11 carries. He had no burst. Uh, no ability to make anybody miss. It was basically a sitting target and had all these array of zero yards, one yard, two yard gains. And it was kind of like Ohio State had gotten stubborn that they, they thought, well, this moment is too big to put his backup in. We couldn't possibly, uh, you know, put a true freshman, Dallin Hayden, into the game and risk a, a fumble or a bad experience. Forget the fact that Dallin Hayden had gotten in there last week in relief of Mayan Williams and rushed for 100 yards. So they don't put Dallin Hayden in this game until late in the first half after the offense has just been terrible. And part of the problem was field position. Maryland had succeeded in backing Ohio State uh, deep into its own end. Ohio State had hamstrung itself with some holding penalties and false start penalties, and they couldn't generate any more offense. They kicked a field goal. Finally, Dallin Hayden gets his first carry with three minutes and 40 seconds to go in the first half. This guy, who they were afraid to put in the game, ends up with 27 carries for over 140 yards and three touchdowns. 
The same offensive line that was being panned at halftime as Ohio State trailed Maryland 13-10 to was now heralded in the second half because they ran for over 140 yards in the second half, and Dallin Hayden uh, exploited the holes, hit the holes hard, ran like a veteran, took care of the football, did everything they wanted him to do, and again, you know, he was a hero on a day that looked like, man, this game could go either way. Now, I must also point out that the Ohio State defense really struggled with Tylea Tagovailoa. There wasn't much pressure, even though the stat line says they had five sacks. Two of those came in the final minute of the game, and uh, one of them, both those were by Zach Harrison, and the second one he stripped uh, Tylea Tagovailoa. The ball went up in the air, and Steel Chambers recovered it, uh, plucked it out of the air at the one-yard line and walked into the end zone for the final touchdown with nine seconds left to make the final margin magically go from six points to 13 points. So it looks like uh, a little bit uh, not quite as close a game as it actually was, 43 to 30, and allows Ohio State to continue to boast that they are the only team in the country that is 11-0 and also beat all 11 of its opponents by double digits. So you had that kind of in their favor but a uh, long way around the bend, it was the safety, Lathan Ransom, who changed this game, turned this game on a dime. He had a big hit on the Maryland tight end on a second down for an eight-yard loss on the first series of the second half. And then two plays later, he came in for the second week in a row. He blocked a punt, and a teammate recovered it, set up a touchdown, and the Buckeyes took the lead for good at that point. And uh, the lead fluctuated between, I think, 14 and was as close as three uh, in the fourth quarter. Maryland actually got the ball back down three with about nine, seven, eight, nine minutes to go and was unable to generate anything. The Ohio State defense finally got a at a critical stop at a, at a key moment. And Ohio State was able to go down, take, I think, about, uh, let's see, five of the last six or seven minutes off the clock, kicked a field goal to make it six, and uh, gave it back to Maryland with like 40 seconds left. So, um, And had pinned him way deep on the kickoff as well. So it all worked out. Again, I don't know that they were looking past Michigan or past Maryland to Michigan. I think it was just a case that Maryland, after two terrible road losses at Wisconsin and uh, Penn State, as I think a lot of us that had some sanity thought would sack up and play a pretty good game at home, uh, back on their home turf, uh, they they played probably one of their best games of the season and uh, just didn't get the ball to bounce their way in the in the final moments. Yeah, we all know Tunga Vailoa has the reputation. We saw it on display right there. He's a gunslinger, and if he gets the rhythm and he's hot, then you know he's had a couple miserable days. I think one was weather aided for sure on that same weekend that Ohio State played Northwestern, but. The, the other game was miserable against a good Penn State secondary. But if he comes out hot, he gets in that groove. He's as good as they come on a given day. And we saw that on display. We also see a Maryland program that is not at the level of Ohio State and Michigan, but they have enough athletes. They've recruited well. They've recruited in that top 15 to 25 range. So they've got a collection of them. And if it's the right matchup, the right day, uh, they can make um, – they can make a scene like we saw in College Park on on Saturday, Steve. So you kind of ended with the defense there. 
And so I'd like to stay there with the Ohio State defense because it seems as though this defense now kind of with Penn State being the classic example of this and the Maryland game to a certain extent, especially at the end with Zach Harrison, um, that that there are leaks there. There are leaks. It's not airtight. I think we also have to understand what day and age we're in, that there isn't a defense out there that goes out there every game and shuts people down to to 10 points. Uh, we just play in a different day and age. But it, it seems like it's a, on one hand, you know, it's a defense that still has its issues, still has its struggles, still has leaks and coverage and so forth. But they just have this collection of players that can flash at any moment, just make spectacular plays, whether that's JT Tuimoloau or Zach Harrison, Tommy Eichenberg, Steel Chambers, uh, that they just have a collection of Ron Vincent in the middle that, that that this is the reason why you, you recruit and sign all those four and five stars, I guess. Yeah, I think it is. I think the collection of the whole, you know, is better than the sum of the parts or I don't know how that how that whole thing goes. But uh, they play better collectively as a group probably than they are individually, I suppose, would be the, the way I put it. And there are some really good individuals on this team, as you mentioned. I mean, JT Tui Maloal. Jack Sawyer were both national top 10 players in their class. And Zach Harrison was probably a top 30 player maybe in his class uh, three or four years ago as a senior. Uh, those are three of their top defensive linemen. Uh, Teron Vincent has played pretty well at defensive tackle, as has uh, Mike Hall Jr. earlier in the year. And uh, I think that uh, those guys have really uh, kind of come on here as, as the week's have uh, ticked off. Ty Hamilton is another one there at defensive tackle who's played well. I think Tommy Eichenberg as an All-American type season at linebacker. Uh, Lathan Ransom, probably all Big Ten, and maybe same for Ronnie Hickman at safety. Uh, Ransom had kind of an up-and-down day on uh, Saturday. And to be honest with you, Ohio State gave up five pass plays by Talia Tonga-Vailoa of 25 yards or more including, I think, two in the 30s and one that went as far as 49 yards, and it was equal opportunity. Jordan Hancock filling in at cornerback, I think, got burned for a couple of them. I think Ransom got burned for one of them. Uh, Tanner McAllister, the transfer from Oklahoma State, got beat for a deep one as well. So it was a little bit of uh, everybody. Uh, Cam Brown and Denzel Burke have worked their way back. It seems to close to full health at cornerback, doing the best that they can. Probably playing hurt themselves, and uh, you know they're, those are the top two corners on this team. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And then you fall off with Jordan Hancock, J.K. Johnson, whoever else is going to play there at corner. So um, you know I think that uh, this defense is going to be tested. Obviously uh, going against Michigan, Michigan. With Blake Corum at the running back position, they are a, a, a top five team in rushing offense this season, 243 yards per game. But Ohio State has one of the top rushing defenses. They're only giving up uh, just under 110 yards a game rushing, and they're in the top 15 in rushing defense. So that will be a tremendous head-to-head, uh, -head, I think, just to see who wins that matchup. Last year it was Michigan won that one in spades, you know, trampled Ohio State in that game. And it was uh, Blake Corum, obviously, and Hassan Haskins who did uh, most of the, the dirty work there. Haskins is obviously gone now. Donovan Edwards has been Blake Corum's uh, changeup back, but uh, Edwards didn't play. 
this past week against Illinois. Not sure what his status is for this week. And so, and Corum obviously left the game against Illinois. Uh, He was uh, tackled along the sideline. An Illinois defender, it appeared, used a forearm to the knee to, to, you know, dove at him to try and get him off off his feet on a tackle attempt. Perfectly legal play, obviously, but one of those one of those mishap hits, you know, that happens in this game of football that just hit him right at the right spot and, uh, you know, created a painful situation, obviously, for for Corum. He was able to walk up the ramp to go get checked out. Jim Harbaugh said after the game it was nothing structurally, and I look forward to hearing what Harbaugh says in his early week press conference if there's anything more to that, if he'll even mention it with Blake Corum. But uh, I would fully expect they're going to do everything they can with Blake Corum to – get him to feeling right uh, for this game on Saturday, because, you know, without him on Saturday, he was the whole offense in Michigan. He had 140 yards before he left the game. I mean, Illinois, which has a really good defense had no answer for him. I mean, Illinois has a national top 10 defense and they could not stop him. So, uh, and that's been kind of the case for a lot of teams against Blake Corum this year. They use him, uh, so well, both catching passes out of the backfield and also in various different ways in the running game. So if uh, he can't go and it puts it on J.J. McCarthy, the young quarterback uh, who took over as the starter earlier in the year, you got to like Ohio State's chances in that matchup because Michigan's not a strong throwing team. They're way down the list nationally in terms of uh, passing offense. So uh, I could call it up right here. I was just looking at it. Passing offense, they are 99th in the country at 208 yards per game throwing. So that's not their forte. And, uh, you know, I like McCarthy. He's been very efficient. There's no – he doesn't turn it over or anything like that. They just – uh, you know, with some injuries and different things that have happened, have not had uh, that kind of dynamic passing game that we've seen, you know, maybe in the past. So uh, I think that it would be to Ohio State's advantage if something's up with Corum, obviously. And, and uh, you know, Ohio State's defense has got to key in on him and, and find ways to get him stopped and not let him take a two, three-yard play and make it a 10- or 12-yard play as they did last year against Ohio State. They were picking it up in seven, eight, 10-yard chunks as they moved it down the field last year against the Buckeyes. Michigan is 30th in the nation in pass efficiency. Yeah, that's Uh, a good barometer, too. Yeah. 16 16 TDs, three picks Yeah, uh, out of J.J. McCarthy. So, yeah, he's taking care of the ball. What's kind of odd is that he was leading the nation in completion percentage as of three games ago, and the last three games, he's barely completing 50% of his passes, just remarkably out of nowhere. Yeah, the weather, even C.J. Stroud's had that problem too, Mark, here in the recent weeks, and people have remarked about it, but – you know, obviously Ohio State played in the wind tunnel game at Northwestern uh, three weeks ago, and that was miserable for Stroud. But uh, even he is, has struggled a little bit in the colder weather. I mean, this is how it is. It, it's a harder harder ball to catch when it's 40 degrees than when it is 70 degrees. So, uh, you know, I think that's just kind of a natural progression. As you get deeper into the season, it is a little more difficult to move the ball throwing it. Cali football fans, the season seems to get better each and every week. The matchups are ridiculously good and getting better now that we're in conference play. You're looking for the best seats at the most competitive prices, and we want to make sure you take advantage of Ticket Smarter and their mobile app. We know that buying college football tickets online requires trust, and Ticket Smarter 
has partnered with more than 100 universities and 24 conferences as their official ticket resale marketplace. They have also partnered with ESPN Events as an official ticket resale partner as well. And with the best selection of NCAA football tickets, Ticket Smarter makes sure fans from all over the country experience the power and excitement of college football live. Purchase your tickets quickly, securely, and at the best prices in the secondary market with the Ticket Smarter mobile app or at TicketSmarter.com. And we've got an additional offer for those listening to all our podcasts here on College Gridiron Coast to Coast. Take 5% off your purchase of $100 or more with our promo code GRIDIRON22. That's GRIDIRON22 for 5% off your order of $100 or more. And that code isn't just a one-time deal. No. Use our code as many times as you want this season for the best selection of college football seats to the biggest games. Check out the selections and the pricing now with Ticket Smarter. And remember our code, GRIDIRON22. Think smarter, ticket smarter. You went to the weather, Steve. Let's let's tackle this weather. I, I would say, Steve, if if we had, uh, and, and we probably been discussing this game, you and I, for I don't know five, six, seven years, something in that range. Uh, you know, we both go back to a roughly the same date in Ohio State history in regards to our fandom, and in watching these rivalry games, and. Last year would have been the first year that, sure, my mind was on the weather. I gave it a look just kind of as, you know, is this going to be 60 degrees and sunny or is this going to be 22 degrees and snow flurries, but not really thinking, okay, either team had an advantage because of the weather. And I got to tell you, Steve, still remember getting a text from my daughter at like 1 a.m. the night of the game last year and she showed me the forecast it was just a screenshot of the forecast in ann arbor my initial reaction was "Uh uh-oh and ironically ohio state still threw the ball they still threw it well garrett wilson was still plucking the ball out of the air uh those three guys talking about stroud wilson and olave almost the three of them kept ohio state in that game throwing the ball so on one hand i think well they threw it in those conditions last year and threw it effectively, 394 yards. Maybe weather's not that big of an issue, but it only makes common sense that it's easier in difficult weather to turn around and hand the ball off to a dip, a guy than it is to you know run through the process of having to throw it, catch it, secure the ball in the air. It's just a more difficult thing to do, and Ohio State's pass ha- heavy and Michigan's run heavy. Yeah, that would, if the weather is poor, would play to Michigan's side, particularly if Corum is healthy and full go. I just called up the the current weather report as we sit here right now. It says 49 degrees. That's the high on Saturday. The game is going to be played at 12 noon, obviously. And uh, cloudy with occasional rain showers, a chance of rain 60%. So there is a chance that at least part of this game will be played um, – under some form of rain, whether it's just sprinkling or whether it's actual showers, or I tend to doubt it's going to be pouring down rain, but, uh, you know, it, it, it could be a factor. And, uh, again, that could be kind of an equalizer to take uh, some of Ohio State's advantage in the past game away from it. But, uh, you know, from a mindset standpoint, Ohio State has been pointing to this day for 365 days. Um, 
Ohio State has dominated this rivalry, won 17 of the last 20 meetings since 2001. There was no game in Columbus in 2020 because Michigan, uh, you know, obviously was hit really hard with COVID and, and uh, the game had to be canceled. <clears throat> and so Ohio State has waited for this opportunity to get Michigan back on its turf at Ohio Stadium. And uh, in the games that were played, uh, prior to 2020, Ohio State was able a lot of times to name the score. They had 62 points in one of the games that was played. Uh, I think they were in the 50s another time. So, <clears throat> you know, is that the, the type of offensive explosion Ohio State can expect to have? I'm not sure against this uh, Michigan defense. I kind of call it a no-name defense because there is no Aiden Hutchison or David Ajabo, you know, household name out there or, you know, some of the guys from the past uh, like Peppers or, or Bush, you know, or some of those guys, you know, who were heralded as all American type guys. It, it's, it's kind of a no name defense of younger guys that have really bought into a great scheme. Uh, they are uh, number one nationally in yards allowed 241.3 yards per game and number two in scoring defense 11.7 points per game. So that tells you a lot right there that uh, this is a quality team. But Ohio State's played some pretty good defenses along the way, like Iowa, Wisconsin, even Rutgers had a pretty good defense and the Buckeyes chewed all those teams up and spit them out. So we will see uh, you know, if they're able to do something similar. But the conditions would definitely have a, a big thing in Ohio State's favor if, if that were the case. Mike Sanders still was a wide receiver at Michigan last year, and they switched him over to a defensive back, and he's been one of the main reasons why they've been able to play as well as they have. And obviously he's going to have a key role against this Ohio State wide receiver core. You've got uh, Michael Barrett as a linebacker. Will Johnson was a five-star, one of the very top players out of California. And uh, he has more and more gotten a role for Michigan in the secondary at, you know, 10, 15 snaps. And then, bam, here in the last three to four weeks, he's been a major contributor playing pretty much the entire game and has done really well. He's come up with a couple interceptions. Um, and Mike Morris, uh, talking about injuries, uh, Michigan's been hit rather hard. We, we covered the running back situation, Donovan Edwards, Blake Corum. Uh, for, for people, and I'm sure, Steve, you get this about a thousand times more than I do. People expect you to know what the injury report is and what, what's going on inside the locker room, and we just we just don't know. We just don't know. Ryan Day is only going to say so much. Jim Harbaugh is only going to say so much. But we do know that Michigan's had two tight ends out. Um, Eric Alls out for the season. He was supposed to be one of the better tight ends in the Big Ten. Exceptional guy. Caught a game-winning touchdown against Penn State last year. Luke Schoonover's uh, a top tight end in the Big Ten. He didn't play last week. Who knows what his status is. Uh, Loveland's their third stringer, and he showed a lot of promise against Illinois. Uh, Mike Morris is one of the best defensive linemen in the Big Ten. He made a comment that he's got a sprained ankle and sat out against Illinois, but he said, I'm going to be ready for the next one. Uh, so uh, is there anything besides the running back room that is of concern from an injury standpoint for the Buckeyes? Uh, there's not a whole lot that I can think of. And my, my guess is uh, Mayan Williams, after not playing this past week, will be ready to go. Probably the same situation as Mike Morris, that he just needed a week off 
to uh, to let what appeared to be a right ankle to let that heal, get the proper treatment, ice, you know, whatever it is that they've got to do on a regular basis to get him ready to go. And obviously they'll have the three mid midweek uh, practices here to get everybody ready to go. I tend to doubt that Henderson is going to have a, a huge role in this game, given the way he left uh, the Maryland game and his foot was in a boot. We don't know how severe uh, I presume again an ankle situation. How how severe that possibly is for him, but uh, you know again, uh, I think it was Jim Tressel, a former Ohio State coach, always made a joke that uh, you know you would go in there before practice a lot of weeks, and there might be eight, ten, fifteen guys in the trainer room getting uh, getting treatment. Uh, there won't be anybody in there this week. Everybody is taped up, ready for practice, and not going to miss this game because. It is the game. The only guy that, you know, there was a few years ago, there was a guy, John Simon, who was a big-time defensive end for the Buckeyes, played a few years in the NFL, and uh, he didn't get to play his last home game against Michigan because he had too bad of an injury, and he was the ultimate gamer, you know. So it's got to take somebody, you know, dare I say, getting shot to uh, to miss this one. And, and uh, you know, I think that if, if you can – be ready for this game. It is all hands on deck, and I do think that Henderson will tape it up, go through warm-ups, and do everything he can to be uh, present and accounted for. The rest of the team seems like it's getting healthy. Dewan Jones and Denzel Burke were both back in the lineup this past week after missing the Indiana game. Uh, I think Dallin Hayden, you know, some would say, is he going to start the game? Maybe if Mayan Williams is healthy that he would start the game, but I think you've got to play Dallin Hayden. After the back-to-back 100-yard games, I think you got to get him in there for some early carries, get his feet wet, and see if he can 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 make something happen against a great Michigan defense. You don't have time to play injured players in this game, injured players who aren't effective, particularly at a position where you're counting on them, the running back in this scheme, to make somebody miss. Uh, you can't block everybody when you're playing a great defense like Michigan because they're going to have more people at the line of scrimmage and more people at the point of attack just scheme-wise and ability-wise than you can handle. And you're counting on the running back making at least one guy miss. Well, Henderson, as he showed on Saturday, wasn't capable of that. So you can't afford – if he's not 100%, you can't afford to give him one carry in this game. This, this one means too much. Folks, we posted a video over on our YouTube channel, The Voice of College Football, and uh, you know we are going to cover Ohio State, Michigan, top to bottom. So we've already posted many videos over there already on a Monday. But uh, looked at the six common opponents that these two teams have played, the five in division plus Iowa, and it's pretty intriguing to look at the numbers. We broke it down offensively, defensively. You might be surprised at Ohio State's defensive metrics versus Michigan, meaning versus those six common opponents because they stack up pretty favorably more so than you would think. But uh, check out that video again at the Voice of College Football. Hey guys, with the college football season heading toward the midway point, you need a sports book with integrity and longevity that you can rely on like Bet Us. Did you know that Bet Us has been pioneers in the sportsbook industry for over 25 years, paying their loyal customer base quickly and securely? Well, we want you to go to Bet us.com and take advantage of an offer we have with all our shows right here at the College Gridiron Coast to Coast. You'll receive a 125% sign-up bonus by using our code COAST22. That's COAST22. Put $100 in, 
get an additional $125 to play with, or $200 initially deposited gets you $250 and so on. And bet us also as the NFL, Major League Baseball postseason, and soon the NBA, as well as almost any sport you can think of. But we know you are college football fans first and foremost, and we want you to be with us all season long on BetUs.com. Check them out, BetUs.com, and remember our 125% match bonus for initial signups with our code COAST22. BetUs. You bet, you win, you get paid. All right, Steve, there are other games, believe it or not. They're going to play other football games, and and um, some of them actually have the audacity to be playing at the same time as Ohio State and Michigan. I don't know how many people are going to be watching those games, but uh, there's one in particular that the Big Ten is scheduled for Friday. Ever since Nebraska joined the league, they have pinned Iowa and Nebraska as, as rivals and made this the last game of the season. And this time they're playing with a lot on the line as Iowa inexplicably out of nowhere with Illinois going on a three-game losing streak has now taken charge of the Big Ten Western Division. Once again, the Hawkeyes given up for dead weeks ago at three and four in the Big Ten now stand tall at home at Kinnick Stadium where they are tough, tough, tough to bring down taking on a just really downtrodden Nebraska team that took another L, although they took Wisconsin to the wire last week. So we've got Nebraska at Iowa, traditional Friday after Thanksgiving Day at Kinnick Stadium. Hawkeyes can wrap up the West with a win. You have to give Iowa a ton of credit. Uh, they've reeled off four straight wins after they were decimated at Ohio State 54-10. to 10. And they really gutted one out this past week. I mean, Minnesota with Muhammad Ibrahim, he rushed for over 250 yards. And it's really sad that uh, he didn't get the win and they didn't get the win for Minnesota in that game. They just, uh, for whatever reason, could not put the ball in the end zone against uh, Iowa's stingy defense. At 13-10, to 10, Iowa wins it on a late field goal. It was, I believe, 17 degrees at game time, second coldest game they've ever had at the stadium in Minnesota since they opened it in 2009 following a 15-degree a game. It was the second coldest game that they've had at the Minnesota Stadium. The other one that was even colder was 15 degrees against Ohio State back in 2014 when the Buckeyes were on their way to a national championship season. And uh, you have to give Iowa credit for gutting that out and really what they put on here at the end of the season defensively with Spencer Petras coming on a little bit, throwing the ball. Iowa controls its own destiny if they win this game against Nebraska. And here's poor Nebraska. They led uh, Wisconsin most of the way this past week, and I always make this joke. It's like Charlie Brown and Lucy Van Pelt. You know, Charlie Brown goes to kick the football, and Lucy Van Pelt always pulls it away, and Charlie Brown, Nebraska, always loses, and uh, they've lost six or seven in a row in the series to Iowa, and uh, Iowa favored at home to win this game and go back to the championship game for the second year in a row. Obviously, would be a rematch of its Ohio State, fifty-four to ten. Would be a rematch of its Michigan. They lost to Michigan, twenty-seven to fourteen. So, interesting to see. Purdue is obviously hoping that uh, that Nebraska pull off the upset, which would be quite an upset, no question, given the season that Nebraska's had. But again, nothing's out of the uh, realm of possibility because Iowa's inability to do a whole lot on offense keeps every team they play in the game. So. If Nebraska can generate anything, they would be right there, you would think, at the end. Uh, 
Purdue playing the old oak and bucket game against Indiana, and that's no foregone conclusion either because Indiana just went into Michigan State and upset the Spartans at a loss that will probably cost Michigan State a bowl game because they're stuck on five wins right now, and they have to play Penn State. And uh, Penn State is not going to let up. They've been on a rampage here at the end of the season. And uh, Penn State, with a win in this game, would get to 10-2, and two, certainly finish in the top 10, and would be on their way to a New Year's Six Bowl, probably the Cotton Bowl or maybe the Orange Bowl, hard to say uh, exactly which one. It would not be the Sugar Bowl because that's a contracted bowl, and it would not be uh, the Fiesta or the uh, Peach because those are the playoff. And uh, the Rose Bowl, they would go to the Rose Bowl if Michigan and Ohio State are both in the playoff. If not, they would be stuck in either the uh, Cotton or the Orange. So this Iowa defense, again, um, a little alarming to see them get shredded by Mo Ibrahim, but at the same time, they kept Minnesota out of the end zone, giving up 263 rushing yards just to Mo, uh, him and him alone. Uh, they made two stops in the final five minutes of the game uh, in the red zone. One was an interception. This team is so opportunistic on defense, and it's not a fluke. It's not random. They've done it for 20-some years. They lead the nation in interceptions over the course of the Kirk Ferentz era. It's Phil Parker. It's that defensive coordinator and the, the scheme they run and the way they teach their players to strip the ball. To They're all sure-handed in the secondary. They look for deflections. So a fumble forced and a interception forced in the final few minutes on two red zone drives for Minnesota. And Iowa does what they do. This is how they win football games, and they just do it over and over and over and over. Yeah, the Big Ten's got two of the best linebackers in the country with Tommy Eichenberg from Ohio State and uh, Jack Campbell from Iowa. He has got to be right up there as well. And he had another big game, and I was seeing tweets with his name in it, you know, as his fingerprints were all over that win uh, for Iowa. And you'd love to see that uh, for a defensive guy to get the the kind of uh, recognition that he deserves uh, for the way he has played, the way that defense that he kind of helps uh, lead has played. And, and uh yeah, I mean, what a tribute. I mean, they they took so many criticisms and, and everything. And and honestly, nobody has seemed or played like they wanted to win this West Division championship. Illinois had it in their hands. And uh, obviously, they've dealt with some injuries there at Illinois. Uh, Brett Bielema was very unhappy with the, uh, the, uh, the officiating after the game. There was, in particular, an offensive pass interference penalty against Michigan on, on one of the late drives where uh, you know Michigan had to kick three field goals in the fourth quarter uh, to, to go from uh, uh, what would have been uh, – uh, well, they ended up winning by two. Uh, so whatever that math is, you know, they, they did it in, in successions of three and uh, four, one, and then up two, I guess, is what it would have been. But uh, – yeah, they uh, they pulled it out. Brett Bielema, no happy about that and not happy about it. And uh, now, lo and behold, at the end of the season, it's uh, it's Purdue and Iowa, Iowa in particular, with controlling its own destiny that, uh, you know, are, are trying to get to Indianapolis. It would be kind of cool if it's Purdue. They've never played in the Big Ten championship game. And Illinois, uh, need we remember or, or just say there are eight different combinations of the three games that those teams will play. Illinois closing out against Northwestern. If they win and if Indiana beats Purdue and Nebraska beats 
Iowa, the one combination out of those eight combinations, sends Illinois to the championship game because they have head-to-head wins over the two teams that they would be uh, tied with. And uh, so, yeah, it, uh, it's, a, it's a crazy scenario, crazy uh, thought, but don't count out the Illini just yet, as we saw last week. Illinois and Maryland did everything but win those their two respective games this past week, and uh, a lot of credit for them for, for playing really hard and not having much to show for it. Illinois made it a heck of a lot closer than I anticipated against uh, Michigan in the big house. Not that they're not a good football team and haven't really uh, improved considerably this year, but, uh, and I give Brett Bielema tons of credit. uh, Number one for the job that he's done at Illinois overall. Number two, because he was coaching heavy hearted. His, his mother passed away uh, this week and it was, he was really uh, struggling as to whether to, to go ahead and coach the game or not. Uh, I do have exception with the way you, Illinois handled the final three or four minutes of that game, Steve. So they were they were up 17 to 16. As you said, they were up 17 to 10. Michigan kicked two field goals in the fourth quarter. So it's a 17-16 game. And Illinois was treating the situation like, let's say, there were 90 seconds left in the game, not three and a half plus minutes left in the game. They've got the ball in their own end, and they were just resigned to Run, run, run. Michigan calls three timeouts. So they got that accomplished in forcing Michigan to exhaust timeouts. But you're only going to take so much time off the clock. There's howling winds. It had been proven the entire game that if Michigan's going to or Illinois punting into the wind, it's not going to be much of a punt. And they're inside their own 20 yard line. And here they are. They can barely take any time off the clock. They didn't try to get a first down. They needed to treat that situation like, okay, we're going to manage the clock, but hey, we got to get first downs here and we got to hold the ball to win the game. No, they were resigned to, no, we're just going to run three plays, punt. They punt it into the wind. Michigan's got plenty of time. They've got two and a half minutes at their own 45-yard line. They got one of the best kickers in the nation who's hit 37 to 38 inside 40 yards. Sure enough, they only have to complete a couple passes. Boom, there's your game-winning field goal. Yeah, I agree uh, with what you're saying. I think that uh, Bielema, some of the the criticism should come back on him for the way they managed it. The only thing I would say in his benefit was they had done a pretty good job stopping Michigan uh, uh, up till that point without quorum, and uh, Michigan without quorum is not quite as uh, uh, fearsome as, as maybe they would be with him. But, uh, yeah, I – I agree. When you don't win a game, there are plenty of uh, plenty of ways you can look at it back on your own own side that, uh, you know, you came up a couple plays short on both sides of the ball that uh, just make one more play there on offense. I mean, uh, Ohio State had a similar situation. There was three minutes left in their game and uh, they were only up three. And Stroud was scrambling, scrambling, looking, and he threw back against the green. And it was uh, Mecca Buca who got down low to the ground and scooped the ball, basically never hit the turf, scooped it up for a, a nine-yard gain on third and seven with three minutes to go. And Maryland had exhausted their timeout. So that was an instance where they had to throw the ball to get the first down, and they completed a really – a clutch play, good throw and great catch on both ends. And uh, they were able to take two full minutes off the clock, kick a field goal to make it six and uh, have to kick off with 40 seconds left. 
instead of punt and pin them deep, you know, with two and a half, three minutes to go. So, uh, yeah, it, it worked out really well in, in Ohio State's favor in that case to where they they had to go for the first down and, and they picked it up. So, yeah, just one play a lot of times can determine the difference in a lot of these outcomes and a lot of these games. And I think that uh, that could be what, what we're looking at this week. I haven't looked at the line for Ohio State-Michigan. Is Ohio State still a nine or ten point favorite for that game? What uh, where? I wonder where things are at right now with that, what the odds makers are saying, and even more curious, maybe the over-under as well. We've seen some crazy over-unders here. The Iowa games in recent weeks, the over-unders keep getting smaller and smaller, and last week it was like 31, and uh, they and Minnesota only combined to score 23 points. So that one went well under the posted total last week, and uh, not sure how they'll view the Iowa-Nebraska game this week, but uh, Ohio State-Michigan, uh, curious what uh, what it looks like right now in terms of, of the odds for that one. As of three hours ago, the Columbus Dispatch is reporting Ohio State as a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. Wow. So that's gone down a little bit. That's uh, that's amazing. I don't know. Maybe because of the health of the running backs, uh, that's gone down. Or because uh, how poorly Ohio State played defensively against Maryland. Although what Maryland did and what uh, – I mean, Ohio State stopped Maryland's running game as they – stop nearly everybody's running game all season but uh maybe uh maybe that was uh telling to the odds makers that uh, there's some some or maybe it's quorum's health that people are aware that he's going to play too so yeah i don't know it uh, should be uh, we should be in for quite a good one here this week absolutely absolutely and one more note on the western division scene is we've had just a myriad of calculations and permutations uh, this last few weeks. But of course, as Steve outlined, Iowa can take care of all of it on Friday and make everything null and void on Saturday. The one note I will make about Nebraska is that they've got Casey Thompson back. So they went from scoring 37 points against Purdue. And even though they were mounting loss after loss after loss, they were a capable offensive team with Casey Thompson in the lineup. He gets hurt. They only score like 24 points in three games. They were completely inept on offense he comes back to this wisconsin game throws a couple touchdown passes to trey palmer who is one of the best wide receivers in the big 10 who had been basically taken out of the game because of a lack of quarterback play for three weeks so there's that threat against iowa that said uh i was i believe won seven or eight consecutive in the series most of them razor tight but iowa being iowa they somehow figure out a way to win so that's kind of what i'm expecting steve Iowa not to run away with it, but to figure out a way to win like they always do. Lucy Van Pelt. I mean, I'll tell you what, we drive up to Michigan a lot of times on Black Friday and I'd listen to that game on the radio. And I'm usually around Toledo or somewhere. Nebraska's got a four, five, six, eight point lead, whatever. And you just that, that that foreboding is always there in the background that the Grim Reaper is coming for the Huskers and and lo and behold, every year it's the same thing. Iowa pulls it out on the last play or last minute or whatever. They won 28-21 or something like that last year, but they trailed the absolute entire game until Nebraska just collapsed at the end and had uh, bad clock management, bad turnover and whatever. But, yeah, it was uh, vintage uh, Nebraska. I mean, th- there's been a dark cloud over that program from – almost the moment they arrived in the big 10. And if they could ever get that black cloud to kind of, you know, 
go off into the distance or whatever. They could start winning some close games again. I mean, how you know, you lose to Wisconsin 15 to 14 in senior day, and Wisconsin scores a touchdown, you know, with 30 seconds left to win the game. You lead most of the way. It just it it's they have the best fans in the country, too. I mean, I've been there several times and it just it breaks your heart almost that that they have such great following and the football has been so poor for for the last decade or so, and that uh, you know that there are better days coming. Whoever the the permanent the new permanent coach is going to be, Trev Alberts is a football guy. He can't screw this up. So um, you know we'll see see what direction that goes. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm interested to see uh, who comes out of that one on Friday. And uh, for Ohio State Michigan. Um, there's only one other Big Ten game at, at noon, and that's Rutgers and Maryland. And so the other five games are all played at 3.30 or 4 o'clock so that everybody can watch the game. I know the 2006 game was one versus two on ABC, had over 20 million viewers, which is unheard of for a, a regular season college football game, one of the biggest uh, uh, audiences that they'd had for a college game back to those Big Notre Dame, Florida State games in the early 90s, I think on NBC may have eclipsed it for like a one versus two game way back when uh, on NBC. But uh, uh, my guess is that Fox will have something similar to that because I think all the all the you move some of the inventory for this weekend has moved off to Friday, obviously. So you have a lighter than normal Saturday and then most of the key games are played at three thirty or at uh, seven or eight because of. Uh, because of the Ohio State Michigan game. Absolutely. <clears throat> all right. So we have sized it up. It's all about Ohio State Michigan on Saturday. It's all about Iowa in the West on Friday against Nebraska. If the Hawkeyes fall, then it becomes a myriad of situations that Steve broke down involving Purdue and Illinois. Steve Hellwagon's available on Bucknuts 247 Sports. Get on over there on Bucknuts. Steve, is there anything in particular that people need to be looking out for? No, we're just going to be working uh, our behinds off all week, uh, previewing the Ohio State-Michigan game. Uh, we'll come out with our preview and prediction uh, midweek, and um, we'll have staff predictions and uh, coverage of Coach Day's interviews on Tuesday. Uh, Coach Harbaugh addresses the Michigan media today, or rather on Monday, and that uh, is always uh, an inter- interesting uh, discussion, certainly, and uh also, Ohio State playing uh, basketball in the Maui Invitational Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So we'll be covering that. Not on, per- unfortunately, not in person in Hawaii, but uh, covering it remotely and uh, trying to stay in the loop on what's going on with basketball as well. Great stuff. Appreciate everybody being here on Big Ten Paradigm. Join us again for another edition next week. Enjoy the football. <laughs>